0: No, Adrian, you are muted. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. no.
1: (laughs) Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dungeons and Degrees. My name's Adrian.
2: And I'm Alex.
1: And today we have a special guest. Special guest, introduce yourself.
2: Hey, I'm Shane Brockway, but you may know me on Instagram as the Blind Man, also from Apocrypha. For the D and D fans, you'll probably know me more as the guy who made the spoiler final boss miniature for the first season of Critical Role, or as the lead painter from College Humor's actual play show Dimension Twenty. Hell
0: Nobody yeah. knows who that is.
2: That's
0: <laughs> what.
1: They're just small shows. Nobody's heard of.
2: It's just yeah. a game. It's
1: not a big small deal. Small
0: fan bases.
2: If it's not a stadium, why am I watching it? It's fine.
1: All right. I want to hear about because you are started today with your Kickstarter, and it's. You told me that you funded it today. Alex is going to search that up right away now. I am
0: not. I am not. Addicted. I saw the I can eyes open up. Time.
1: The hands start like moving, typing away.
2: Hey, don't look at my um, Kickstarter history. I physically about, can't uh, stop buying indie RPG books for reasons. I don't even have the shelf space. God. You just can't stop.
0: Listen, <laughs> I don't even play with people in person. Why do I have anything?
2: Because at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is the real pretty art books that nobody but you will ever look at. hmm <laughs>
0: Ah the goblin enemy is happy (laughs) yes
1: so alex and apparently shane both have kickstarter problems uh or 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 gifts i don't know what whatever you want to see it as and shane tell us about your uh kickstarter and and kind of how that kind of came about
2: yeah so uh this is my first ever attempt at a kickstarter um for a while i've been sculpting miniatures just for my own sake, adding narrative to my, my own games and just because it's the hobby I do. And I slowly, you know, chat with some other indie sculptors and have been seeing a wider success of indie sculptors on Kickstarter. Big shout out to Andrew May Miniatures because seeing him put out Kickstarters just for sculpts that he had, not exuberant amounts of miniatures at once, like it'll be a line of 5 to 11 models, no stretch goals really. It's just, here's the sculpts I have. Funded to see if it can happen and then we'll move on to the next one it made it look really attainable to somebody who just wanted a sculpt model so that really inspired mm-hmm. me to to give it a try for myself and when i started kind of doing some of my sculpts and conversion works on miniatures it's got a lot of nice comments and stuff and so i thought okay maybe it, it is worth trying to cast these and get these to people and so i dove really headfirst, and i can happily say we funded in two and a half hours so First wave is at least a success, enough so that I intend to keep going with it. Why not? Unless it starts to fail me, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I'm going to keep sculpting, so why not keep putting it out?
1: <laughs> right. And so tell me about like how you got into the hobby of um, crafting minis.
2: All right. So we're going to go back to a 13-year-old poor kid who was super into Lord of the Rings and still is and used to just scroll online and look at swords he couldn't buy and statues he couldn't buy. And one day I was like, oh, look at all these, like, Little Lord of the Rings stuff. Like, what's going on here? And so I found Games Workshop's website and just looked at everything on their website. And while I was always into, like, movie miniatures and puppetry and that kind of stuff, I was totally unfamiliar with gaming miniatures up until that point. So then by that Christmas, I got a book, of how to play the game you can't afford yet. And eventually that opened up the world of miniature gaming. And I've always done art stuff since I was even younger than that, like clay sculpting at a much larger scale and, and painting and drawing and stuff. So once I started kind of being able to mix my love of art and my love of games into one hobby, it was impossible to get rid of. What was the
1: first the first one that you kind of like you made? And then which one became like, okay, I'm getting better at this. Like, what was the next piece?
2: Ooh, uh, it's
1: like a deep dig. It's yeah, a 13 year old. No, I, no, the
2: 13 year old me was not, not good at making stuff, but, but the so the thing is, I guess to really go back is having started at that point of like, I can't afford any of this. So I'm just looking at like miniature forums. So from the start of the hobby, mm-hmm. I saw people customizing and converting and making their own stuff from the kits. And that clearly translated. And I think again, because of the kind of artistic bent, For me, the hobby at its start has always been like modifying and just making it whatever you want. And that's also because I hate reading rules and I don't care about rules that much. Uh, So (laughs) it's like at the end of the day, I'm buying this thing. It doesn't matter to me what it needs to be. I'm going to make it look nice. Um, And so even early on, I was chopping up pieces and gluing things together. A lot were really ugly but I think just seeing people capable of making things really nice. Like I remember seeing somebody sculpting like dead space minis like way back. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, and so I just kind of kept patrolling through the forums and seeing people way better than me and just, like, trying to push for that. Because just building a kid out of the box was really boring to me. Especially since, funny enough, even though I'm a fantasy person at heart, I started with their sci-fi game Warhammer 40,000. Because when I was like, oh, I'm going to try their games out, I saw that that was being played more locally. So I was like, if I can only afford a couple boxes, I should buy the game that people are playing, and nobody was playing Lord of the Rings. And of all, you know, the most... Character full models. The first thing I got was a couple of basic ass army men and like a tank, you know, super flavorful. And so it was mostly a lot of just like oh, I'm gonna give this guy a bayonet, and I'm like, mm, this is gonna be Solid Snake because he needs to be. Kind of like conversions. and Most of it barely played with. I I always had a, a hard time ever actually finishing an army because it's just from one attention span to the other. It's like I'm gonna cut up this thing, and when I'm done this, now I feel like doing another project. But uh, I'm trying to think early back, like, what are some that I'm, like, really proud of? I think it's hard because back then it's just I kept cycling through ideas so fast that nothing fully stuck because it was just, like, jumping to the next thing and jumping to the next thing. Oh, I'm at the store and there's a bunch of pieces people, like, cut off and accidentally left on the floor. Let me take some of those and make something else out of it. Like, I'm really kind of just going, like, trash wizard with it. So there's a lot of that early <laughs> stuff that I just don't remember. Or, like, you know, it' will be a a bash of super glue and nonsense. And then like, I'm really happy with it. And then the next day I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. And I put it in a box and never look at it again. So it definitely kept progressing from that until I started to be good enough to want to keep it around. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think earlier. years. there's not a lot of, <laughs> just really stuck out to me. You,
1: you saying that you like, once a project is finished, you jump onto the, like the, like I want to do the next thing. It seems like there's probably like something in the mix that might've been the one, but like, your mind is so busy on like the next thing and the next thing. It's probably like the next thing is going to be the best thing kind of the mentality. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. And I think like, it, even though I've been doing it for a while, it feels like I got to the point where each project was just about getting better and getting closer to being able to achieve certain things that really it isn't until recent years. Like once, once I started my Instagram that I avoided forever, like I finally made a model I was really, really happy with, which was uh, I converted if you're familiar with the game Kingdom Death Monster, which has yes. a range of both very good and very terrible miniatures. I love the game, but a lot of their stuff I do mm-hmm. not like at all. But even models I like, I have to kind of make my own because that's the part of the hobby I like. And So they have yeah. this one um, character called the Manhunter um, who does exactly what his name describes. But he's like got like wrestling moves and bear traps and tries to capture people. And I'm like, oh, I like this guy. I think I can make him into a cannibal. And I did, and I was really happy with all of it. And I feel like that was the first model where, like, you know, I, I, because I never really took a lot of pictures of stuff either before. And so I took a lot of pictures because I was really proud of it. And from that part, and that's sort of where the Instagram started for me to, like, really start channeling into specific models that, like, I really wanted to achieve stuff as opposed to making a model for a game and for some rules real quick. And then I'm not playing the game anymore, so I move on. And I'm definitely at that part now. And I think it's, it probably has something to do with getting to play more in the fantasy and in the fantasy horror realm where I'm like way more into than just straight sci-fi. So there's a lot more play, I guess, with the characters in that sense.
1: With getting like altering these minis, do you have to buy like doubles or something? Or do you have like somewhere you go to or know of like certain websites that help you get these extra pieces? Or is it just like, I have this lying around. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it.
2: Uh, Actually, it's half of what you said, because I have this stuff laying around. I very, very, very rarely plan anything. This includes converting and color schemes at all, because the same way I don't like to read rules for games I play, I don't really like to plan that much. I just kind of want to go in and what's going to happen is what's going to happen, right? I want to be just as surprised and impressed or disappointed as the, the person who sees it at the end. So very rarely, I can think of maybe one or two occasions where I specifically bought a miniature for a conversion. Like, um, recently, actually, is the one of the only two times that's ever happened, is for the game Ankh. There's um, a miniature for Osiris, the Egyptian god, and it's a beautiful model, and there's a character in Kingdom Death I really like, but hate the model for, which is the Lion Knight. Well, I don't know if I want to say too much about it, because spoilers for the game, and I'm someone who doesn't like to read what you don't experience. Really like the character, hate the model, but the Osiris model had a really cool body shape and kind of has these like people worshiping him and he's covered in these bandages. So I, I went to eBay for that, but usually it's just, you know, okay, I got this game. I don't like it, but it has some cool models or I trade some bits with some friends um, and just kind of see where it goes from there. Sculpt whatever you don't have in the moment, that kind of thing. But still, I feel like if you really need to sort like seek out certain bits, it, it's hard to go wrong with eBay I know Reddit these days has some relatively decent, like, r slash mini swap when people are just trying to get rid of some stuff. Miniature market at least used to have some really good discounts, but it's I feel like it's just too expensive to just start specifically going out for certain boxes, unless, you know, that's your speed, which is totally fine yeah
1: yeah nice how long does it like so let's just go with like a regular the five foot square and D &D kind of like mini how long does it take to kind of sculpt and then paint those kind of minis
2: uh so like Mm -hmm. with anything art that's a a big variability because like painting is is the easiest thing right like me painting for personal uh versus painting for production right where, like, for the shows, usually, I'm speed painting because there's so many models that need to get out the door, like, shooting is happening. So that's a lot of finding out how to paint to cheat, right? for Like, for example, when I'm trying to do, a, like, a miniature for Dimension 20, the best things to focus on is faces, skins, and metals. The rest you can kind of cheat because as long as your, like, skin tones and faces look good, the rest of the model can be a paint and a wash and it still look really good. But for my personal models, it kind of depends on, I guess, really what I'm in the mood for. Because, like, for example, the Manhunter, and he's only slightly bigger than a a regular size, like, standard human. That took probably a week because I was really trying to challenge myself with each piece. Like, trying to do intricate details on his cloak, trying to push a lot of weird colors on his skin. There's, like, a a rack of ribs on his belt. And I was like, well, even though the ribs are going to be, like bloody i want to make sure there's some slight discoloration where the fat should be and that kind of stuff but not every model needs that
0: did i have a moment where i looked up this manhunter on shane's instagram yes is it from december 9th 2019 also yes did i accidentally like it like a fucking (laughs) noob Yes.
1: yes. You you did the fatal
0: mistake. (laughs) I accidentally liked it. It's from 2019. It's very good. Listen, if, if dear listener, if you have the chance to go scroll through Shane's Instagram, absolutely go all the way back to the first one. You will see my now 2022 like on it.
2: But don't worry the only thing more of a red flag than liking a post from 2019 is it being of a cannibal eating a human leg so i was already scared
0: (laughs) (laughs) listen my track record is pretty clear with not liking shit from like more than a week but uh here we are and i'm gonna leave it there so fight me although maybe not because like there's some stuff in your your head, Shane, that I'm I'm.
2: I can either about. conform so nor demand. Because you're
0: taking care of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, in in the most healthy way I can, overspending on art supplies. <laughs> yes.
1: What is your bread and butter of like to alter some of these things? Like, what is a must to have when you're trying to create these things? Must to have. Like, is there a certain clay, uh, or is there a certain like knife that you need?
2: I mean, honestly, toothpicks, because the thing about a toothpick is that they're incredibly cheap because they're going to fall and they're going to break, but also you can sharpen the tips to get a lot finer what you need, and they just don't stick as much as some other tools. I mean, I still, depending on what material I'm using, like I'll dip it in some water, but I don't think I use anything quite as much as I do just straight toothpicks, and I've gotten some like nicer tools since then, but... Uh, maybe it's the the old poor kid in me that i just keep going back to can i not use my fingers and i'll use a toothpick pretty much that i think you need need just a box of toothpicks they're great you need a spike on a thing cut a toothpick you need like a handle on something cut the toothpick do you need to sculpt an eye sharpen your toothpick a little bit and you're good to go
0: (laughs) toothpicks they'll catch on one day
2: yeah they're good for more than just like putting in an olive i guess
0: you know, I think speaking of toothpicks, I think I used a toothpick for the very first time like two weeks ago. What? I, like <laughs> as its actual purpose. I've never okay. used a toothpick. Like to pick out my teeth. Like I had something in my Well they're not
2: that great at actually picking teeth. No. It <laughs> just feels like I'm
1: stabbing and just bleeding. It you just, know, like, just breaks like breaks apart. What the one fuck wrong is- move. <laughs> uh, I have a one of our uh, listener questions is how long did Calvax's true form take? Well, <laughs> uh, which is the, uh, the, <laughs> yes.
2: Oh, I remember that. Um, okay. As far as how long did it take? That is hard to triangulate because when I'm working on the show, it's typically like, Hey, I need all of these things by this day. So I'm working on a lot of things at once. And so cutting back, because especially with right. with that model and most of the stuff I'm converting, I'm using green stuff, two-part modeling epoxy. So there'll be a batch I can put on, and then it's like, I'm not touching it until it cures. And so there's a lot of staggered steps like that. Mm-hmm. But I can say that um, those uh, Reaper Miniatures fans probably recognize part of that model because they're, and admittedly I don't know the name of it, but it's they're not Tiamat. Which is a very good uh, miniature, is what we used for it. But the thing mm-hmm. about Not Mat is that there's a lot more than one head. And those are very large neck holes throughout the body. So it was a lot of filling that in over and over and trying to just not have these gaping neck holes before I could even sculpt any of the stuff on it. So a lot oh, of time gosh, was put yeah. just into that. Uh, fun fact if you want to make your own, be prepared to fill a lot of dragon neck hole. <laughs>
1: dragon neck hole um that's a slew of words i didn't think about saying ever (laughs) (laughs) what are you working on right now
2: well let's see how do i put this because it's been a lot of focus to be fair on uh tales from apocrypha because audio editing is not something i'm Mm -hmm. familiar with so a lot of time has been devoted to that as well as Painting the miniatures and taking a lot of photos and videos for the kickstarter and some more stuff I haven't shown yet So it's been a while since I've gotten a chance to do like a real personal mini but The last personal miniature that I got to touch and I'm still working progress on is two of the miniatures from um, and if you're on Instagram or follow her blog Gardens of Hecate came out with the folk horrors uh, Kickstarter run by Andrew May and I love everything in there. So I've been trying to work my way through that, just kind of in between work stuff. And I'm definitely jumping back to that the second I get a little bit of free time.
1: Okay, so you're fans of other works, whose works do you admire or like on Instagram or that you've already worked with? Like who's somebody you like want to work with and who have you already worked with that you, you know, love working with?
2: Well, for the longest time I avoided collaborations because I've always been like really particular about sort of my own ideas and kind of uh, themes but more recently um since getting more involved with the indie miniature like instagram scene i've found like so many people that i really look up to and like love their designs i think because in the the, the miniature world there's so many different spheres there's the like i love games so i have models for my games i love games so i love models for my games uh which is perfectly fine but I definitely more gravitate towards the, like, I love miniatures and the art of making characters and that sort of thing, and I never saw too much of that, like, in person, because I'd always play at game stores and stuff, and you get some of it, but having kind of tapped into it, I see just such a wide world of that, and I've been, like, it's definitely pushed me further. One, uh, in particular, again, Gardens of Hecate, the way she does, like, the narrative of her photography um, which, coming from a sculpting painting perspective, I never thought about miniature photography as being part of that sphere. Um, but the atmosphere she's able to get in her work really pushed me to like try that myself. And as far as people I'm looking forward to working with, potentially, that's um, one thing I'm really big on with the Apocrypha Project, is that the podcast I have a lot of collaborations and writing and performers and I really want the miniature line to kind of tap into that a bit. So I'm definitely in the works of trying to get some sculptors I really look up to, doing a couple characters, um, and just like letting them take the reins on it to really open the world in a more collaborative sense. Um, because I'm, I'm inspired by role-playing games primarily, and those inherently are about collaboration. So since this is very coming from a similar sense, I feel like that collaboration can help heighten it.
1: In talking about role-playing and the type of like character art that is Apocrypha, are you more attuned to horror? And if so, or if so or if not, what is your favorite kind of TTRPG that personifies the things you like?
2: That is easy these days because I've been playing a lot of Morkborg, which is the Swedish-made old-school revival-type rules, almost non-existent game which I absolutely love. I'm a big fan of those sort of old-school revival games because of just, like, the real flavor-heavy. Like, I'm definitely on the scale of I like R-O-L-E role-playing over R-O-L-L. I don't really play much 5e anymore because, while it's fun, I I prefer it for one-shots, but as a campaign, I just... I'm not super big on mechanics enough anymore that if I'm going to spend a lot of time, I like those games that are just about the theming and the characters and that sort of thing. Um, so big fan of Morkborg, um, but I'm also hugely partial to, uh, to the level zero dungeon crawler classics. Those funnels, if you haven't tried them, are so much fun and absolutely nonsense, because you're not playing any heroes, you are four villagers, what's your random rolled profession, please don't die, go to this dungeon when everything can basically one-shot you, because you're just a farmer with a goose, and it is a blast for one-shots, definitely worth it if you haven't tried it, um... As I kind of continue that, I guess, I'm I'm definitely in the low fantasy, swords and sandals, horror fantasy, folk horror type vibe is is more my thing. And it's not because I don't like magic or I don't like creatures. It's the opposite in a sense, Uh, is that I like it when they're much rarer because then it's super intimidating and like you don't really know what to expect and that sort of deal. Like I played a lot of D&D, but I think the reason why I don't as much anymore is that it's permeated so much of game culture that it's like when you see something, you even if your character isn't supposed to know, you inherently know what it does. You know what to do, what to expect, and can kind of itch around that. Where in the much lower fantasy settings, I love the kind of the variability of it and that kind of unexpected and the rareness and the kind of surprise and that, that sort of thing. So I definitely gravitate towards those lower fantasy stuff these days.
1: Is there any system or any kind of like setting that you're interested in playing in the future?
2: Um, I've heard a lot of good things about Troika. I've personally never played it, even though I absolutely have kickstarted a couple books for it. The a-
1: <laughs> you got the stuff. Yeah. you just haven't done anything. About it. Yeah,
2: I, it looks really great because it's super weird, which is like a big selling point for me. Um, because I first got their um, Acid Death Fantasy, which looks like. The sort of hodorowsky mobius style dune which i'm a big fan of so i'm like oh that's really flavorful i like the look of that and then i got their other game called Craplands, which makes no sense to me which is why i bought it because like i think you're a ware store and there's like shark people and customers are enemies and the book is done like nutrition tables i have not had a chance to really like dig deep into it but because my brain struggles to make sense of it i'm like i need to have this so i really want to try it but i just i can't comprehend it yet but it is incredibly weird looking so even without knowing it i give it five thumbs up go check it out (laughs) (laughs)
1: it sounds bizarre but like you said it it has that allure of like what is this i want it
2: yeah how many times (laughs) have you played a game where you're aware store
0: no as i'm looking at all of this i just want the books like i i don't even care if i ever learn how to play i just want the stuff because it is really fucking weird but it's really fucking cool it's i okay shane i just don't need to talk to you like shane i i either need if you want a list i got you right i I don't (laughs) need your i don't need your list i don't need it uh in fact you could just throw it away because i i want everything on it and i could I could easily stock my whole non-playable in-person library uh, with. I'm this is so I'm gonna stop. So speaking at of not playable
2: set. in person, um, there's one <laughs> game that I recently bought but can't play yet because it needs to be played in person. My friend and creative producer of Dimension Twenty, Rick Perry, showed me this game called The Skeletons, uh, and I immediately bought it because you're you play as these different skeletons that like exist in a dungeon room or something or at a cave and the character sheets are all like questions about your life and then a weird skeleton shape my favorite being the big head which is a tiny body and a big skull head and it has you draw on your skeleton like oh you have a necklace like add it like you have this shield add it and i guess as you play the game you learn about your past life uh the game suggests you because you'll have to play in person because you draw the dungeon room together and it says okay you have to turn off the light and sit in silence for a minute because your body isn't animated until somebody comes and breaks into the dungeon. So when that happens, whether it's a little animal looking for a place in the winter or an adventurer looking for gold, it opens up and you kind of deal with the situation. So I've never played that. Bought it immediately. And I'm very excited to the. at some point. I'm hoping to try to like squeeze it in sometime in October because it looks like a great one-shot kind of just weird thing. Um, so add that to the list. I mean, don't add it to the list, but you get my point. It sounds great.
1: <laughs> that sounds so cool.
0: Yeah, so what we're... Are you getting
1: it right now? No,
0: I... Is it pulled up? Will there be a conversation later about whether or not I need it? Yes. Do I need friends? Yes. I will be finding real person friends. So if you live in the Dallas... Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth, North Texas area. Listen, I will travel. Hit me up on any of my social medias because I need some people to go play these things. I also have the uh regency era where should i put it the book i have one of the regency era five ebooks so if you like pride and prejudice which is my comfort movie i have one of the books to play it with dungeons and dragons and i once again don't have any friends and i certainly i mean not that i don't have friends so and,
1: you have friends that live in the middle of nowhere, Alpine, Texas. I do. Texas. Yes. And then
0: I have the babies. The
1: armpit yes, of Texas. Have, we have, we have our... Not that it stinks. It's just it's, it's just, just there. there.
0: We have our our babies online, but um I'm not very good at at yeah. organizing my thoughts on the internet. <laughs> I need to see everything analog. So, um Yeah. That's it. Hit me up. As <laughs> I have an awkwardly finger gun oh. on a podcast.
1: At the screen. Yeah, that awkward silence, it was just a bunch of finger guns. We're all doing
0: it. <laughs> it's a standoff. Um but Shane, you are so incredibly creative. <laughs> all the things that you do are just bursting with creativity. It's it's wild. How do you manage it? How do you manage it?
2: Well, that's complicated and it varies from not successful to reasonably successful. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a. Actually, you know what? No, a good way to have kind of started to to channel it. Because, like I said early on, and it's kept throughout my entire creative career, is that I have the hardest time sticking to a project, finishing a project, sticking to one thing. I'm sure anybody and everybody understands that. So, I definitely. There was a big part in why I started Apocrypha. Because if I'm in the mood to sculpt a miniature or paint a miniature or write a dumb story or draw or do a collage i can just say hey it's all for this one project i'm being productive even though it's like well yeah but there's those four sculpts that are on paint uh, undone uh there's that painting that you half did like a year ago are you gonna finish it so it's about cheating and claiming to keep the thread of productivity that's really what i suggest
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that makes sense because you were saying earlier that you've got to figure out what's important you know, painting for college humor in Dimension 20, right? You've got to focus your energy because getting caught up in the details, especially with minis, is super easy because you're like, oh, they're so, I mean, small. I can definitely sit here and waste 20 minutes on making sure this wash is perfect or making sure that the eyeball is perfectly centered. And, you know, you're like justifying the little things, but those little things start to add up real Real fast, especially when you're creatively trying to, like, make it work. And, you know, as you're doing creative things, you're always getting better. So at every point, you're getting better than you were, like, five or ten minutes ago. And that can just keep adding up very quickly.
2: No, exactly. And actually, the one thing that, like, I used to when I first started doing the College Humor Type miniature and again it's that speed painting i had a hard time because that's not typically how i'd like to do that in my own personal painting because i love colors and like adding a bunch of different washes to the skin to give there's like depth and i love putting like body paint or tattoos and making an, an old man's hair semi-red semi-white i love that transition <laughs> um, but it's such a great combo but with the speed painting and it There was, like, something I learned out of it, even though I'm like, this isn't how I paint for me. It teaches you – it taught me how to – what I can cheat and how to cheat better and faster. And I was surprised to find that form of painting that I'm like, this is just a muscle skill. I'm not really getting much out of it. It's like, no, I learned from that. And it's the same reason why I love to be multi-medium, because I feel like everything teaches you a little something different, even for mediums completely different to what you think you're doing. Like, I I like sculpting, like, the best – I still try to draw a lot. It is much harder because it forces you to focus on details that you can cheat and so many other stuff. Um, and even though I do not even, and I never will consider myself an illustrator because I'm not that great at it, it, trying it and keep trying it helps me sharpen some of the detail sense, just like the speed painting helps me sharpen the focus on what's important sense. And so I definitely push anybody who's like, oh, I'm this is the only thing I like to do. So I've got to try a couple of things and you're going to hate so much about it and learn what you like about your other thing and push that even further. Oh,
1: no. Are you
2: going to? Okay. I saw your hey, eyebrows. <laughs> I saw,
0: we now contact each other through eyebrows. Of like, his eyebrow twitched. So I yeah. know he's about to think about a question. So like, let me. But then <laughs> i remember you response...
1: noticing my eyebrow was, I thought like, hey, fuck off, Adrian. I got the next question. Like, I didn't know where it was coming from. Like, I didn't know where that was at. <laughs> You're being a little pixely at the time. I'm like, I can't tell what that (laughs) eyebrow movement is.
0: (laughs) No eyebrows. Adrian, go.
1: (laughs) Okay. With your work with different kind of companies, how did you go about getting these jobs? You just look it up online, or did you hear from somebody who knew somebody? How did that go about?
2: Well, I guess I, I can cut my career into kind of two distinct but different worlds you have the production and you have the personal commission because i do both and it's fluctuated how much i do one or the other but they're such different forms with production i actually specifically while miniatures have been my hobby most of my production career was in scenic painting and sculpting props and full-size stuff because that's what i was able to get work in um, i was lucky enough that my sister uh was doing a lot of scenic painting and she ended up doing like props for reality shows and more stuff. But when I was sixteen I started like just joining her on set and not telling people I was underage and trying to like get my foot in the door. Um the big kind of setup for that was um was it when episode seven of Star Wars came out and there were YouTube was pushing a lot of Star Wars content and there was a show called Starcade, I think it was by John Tron. And there was a couple sets we were doing for that well, my sister was doing for that, and I was like, you don't even like Star Wars, let me come. Because she was doing a Millennium Falcon set, and I'm like, at least let me get in there, Like, it'll be fine. And so I spent the first couple of days working for zero dollars, you know, sweeping stuff, helping paint some stuff. And I heard the production designers, they were freaking out because they needed a the jark pieces, the hollow chests uh, in the Falcon. And they didn't know where to get it and how to get it fast, so I was like, okay... I've seen how people are supposed to do this. So that night I stayed up all night, sculpted a set, painted it up, brought it in, and was like, isn't this what you needed? And then they hired me, and I got more work through them, did some more sets there, kind of spiraled into – I worked for a couple different people, and then it was a lot of word of mouth up until – and a big help from this uh, Facebook page for different art department jobs, and I would get some stuff from there. And through there, I don't remember the gap – Oh, I do actually. So it was the Starcade producer put me in touch with a different producer because he's like, oh, I know you like D&D and minis, right? I know a guy who needs a bunch of minis cut off of bases and rebased onto other stuff. It was not for a show. It was just some D&D guy. And it was a lot of shitty miniatures that he wanted off their shitty bases. And so I did some work for him. And he turned out to be a producer for Geek and Sundry. And so I started to do some stuff for him. Painter's Guild, the first season, I did that. And through that, kind of had some of the, like, that was my first taste of, like, miniature work, like, dumb work. And even though I didn't stick with Geek and Century after that, that's where I got little taste of Critical Role Commission from Matt Mercer. And that, just that name being on my resume, I feel like, is really what helped. I made one model for him. I didn't even know what the show was at the time. I didn't know how significant the model was supposed to be in the narrative. But other people who I know now and I think that really helped because again later down the line my buddy sent me someone had a job posting uh, further looking for miniature stuff and I was like oh cool like I'll reach out and obviously I'm like oh miniature stuff I'm just put critical role at the top and see what I get and one you know day I was at a beer festival and I got this call and I stepped outside and that was Rick Perry and I took my interview um, slightly drunk at a beer festival but pulled it off and stuck with that ever since. And I haven't gone back to full-sized set work um, since then. Because I always wanted to get more into miniature stuff. I'm a big stop-motion fan, but could never like really get my foot in those doors. But since getting the little bit of nerd cred from the critical role, and now Dimension 20, I've been able to open up more personal commission options. So I've been able to stay mostly in the miniature world, which has been nice.
1: Are these, like, the people DM you for these commission stuff, or is this just kind of, like, actually big, large-scale job stuff?
2: So not much of the, like, really large-scale, because I, I typically don't take army commissions, unless special circumstances or for a friend, just because I know my attention span. And I'm also, like, for the army, the amount of time spent on an army to be worth it, I have to charge more than... Then I feel like they would want to pay, and that comes from I'm a hobbyist. So even though I do this as a job, I'm like, well, in my sh- in your shoes, it's like I would pay-, pay somebody to paint this at a lower quality if I really wanted this army, because I just I I didn't really want to do that. Um, so I get a lot of DMs on Instagram during some during COVID years when I was like getting no production work at all because everything was shut down. I actually started patrolling uh, Reddit. Has a brush for higher thread, and so that was the first time I really like started asking hey can i paint like people post the commissions that they have looking for painters so i got some some personal commissions through there um but right now it's it's slowed down to just people asking one of my new favorite clients is actually the um the vintage rpg podcast he collects tons of old school like 80s ral partha miniatures which are so flavorful that I'm like, please, I'll paint those because then I don't have to buy them and I can paint super fun, cheesy 80s chaos guys and minotaurs and send them all away. way. Um, I actually just <laughs> did a like a polar bear chariot for them and I loved every second of it. So get, let me get some more of those kind of commissions and I'm <laughs> happy. <laughs> Hell
1: yeah. That sounds awesome.
0: I could see where that would be beneficial. Like, Maybe it doesn't look like you're hoarding because you're not collecting them they're going to different homes, but you're getting the joy of painting them, which would be cool. Have you gotten anybody to send you like a mini back? They were like, hey, I want you to repaint this because of whatever reason, either, you know, they were reusing it or, or anything like that.
2: No, no, I haven't. Um, And I think like, for me, coming from the production background, I'm very used to like, okay, this model may be good, but somebody might not like this, right? Like even with Rick, like I know what he likes, but there's a lot of times where it's like, well, this just isn't working or Brendan really wants this thing changed. So I'm used to being able to kind of change on the fly and not take it personally, which is a big thing people need to understand if you're doing commissions. Like it's not a personal thing. Sometimes people just want something different. So when I take commissions, I'm usually upfront and I like to send them photos before I ship them out just to like double check like, hey, if you want anything changed. And so far, I've never had such significant changes that I've ever had to like upcharge or anything. Um, so I try to give that little wiggle room, just because, again, a lot of, there's a lot of commissions where it's it's somebody who likes collecting, but they don't like painting themselves. So they might have an idea, but not be as sometimes they're not as good at kind of visualizing it. Sometimes they are, but can't really describe it as well. So it's like trying to chip away and find what they want. Like I've definitely shifted into being the more annoying commissioner in that when I take something, I ask a wall of questions uh, just to try to like chisel out what they're thinking. But then you have those who are just like, hey, I like your work. However you want to paint it is how I want it. And I'm like, please give me more of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of stop motion, right? Side tangent. Have you seen the preview for Wendell and Wilde, the Key Peel with Henry Selleck, Uh stop motion coming out have... on September 11th this year? Okay, so the director, right, of Nightmare Before Christmas. I have not,
2: but now I want to.
0: Right, all these 90s babies who just have that soft spot for for Jack Skellington and their little baby hearts. He directed it, and then Key and Peele are coming in, and it's super spooky, and it's got, like, demons, and, like, I think, yeah, demons, and, like, their arch enemy is Sister Heli, who needs them... Whatever and the, but they're also her altar boys. Sounds like chaos. Sounds like something that we all need to go watch in a couple of days. Yeah, by the time it's great. posted, it should be out <laughs> on the Netflix.
2: <laughs> Sold.
1: Um, what's it called? Yeah, I just got. To, you know, I am gonna have so much time in the neck after my last two days of work as of recording time. All I need now is just another thing to binge, another thing to work on, just all my hobbies, just just crashing into each other until I can, you know, hopefully I don't like zero out my bank account by the end of the next two months, but I should be fine.
0: <laughs> I really, famous last words. Who can? Oh my God. Who can, yeah. miniature <laughs> um, because I don't feel as though my uh. bank account would survive. <laughs> and I definitely know that my, I painted one mini at Lubbock Con, and I, I sat there, I think for two and a half hours on this little, tiny baby that i made it look like like beauty and the beast it was so cute i have no idea where it's from it was free i just got to sit there and paint with free paint and but i my attention was there for like two hours and like you know when you stand up every bone in your body is aching and your fingers are just forever (laughs) gnarled
2: oh yeah i actually got a i recently got like an adjustable stand-up desk specifically because of that because it's like well sometimes when i sit down sometimes i can't And that has been a huge help Uh, because then when you're painting, you can like play music and dance around a little bit. Um, (laughs) Not that I would know, Mm -hmm. but it's been a huge help.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I definitely needed that. I have the desk that I currently have has like a, maybe like half a foot of like range of moving up and down, but like I'm six foot and I need more than that when I sit down and stand up. So I need a whole new setup altogether. Because editing and just sitting there and just like, oh, that's the spike. Oh, got to undo that. Oh, that we went on a tangent. And then at the very end, we say we need to cut all of that. So we got to <laughs> cut all that. And I'm like, I just need a break, dude. <laughs> I just need to stand up because my body is slowly atrophying as I just move like a couple digits and that's it.
2: <laughs> you got to get one of them Jello pools and then just your screen above your face so you can just... <laughs>
1: Layout. <laughs> yes, my my peak is a jello pool. I can work in. that's gonna be my peak. That's <laughs> what I'm aiming for now in life. <laughs> I'm excited. So you talked about the Kickstarter, like producing these minis. I also want to know what you have in a podcast kind of included in that. Is this like a story? Is this a let's uh, like a real play? W- what is the podcast attached to it
2: so the tales from apocrypha podcast is so the tales from apocrypha podcast is purely narrative and it's a narrative anthology in a sense in that each episode has three 10 to 20 minute stories in it and it's just a way of kind of building the world of apocrypha because i really like heavy theming and when i'm doing these designs they're coming from you know a place of narrative in a sense but in these little kind of narrative bubbles, like I know the overall theme, but each additional this is, again, it's very RPG like right each additional thing you kind of think up adds to the world. And so the podcast is a way to do that and in, in a tie in with the miniatures because some of the miniatures are in some stories, some are from some stories, some aren't at all, but are from areas completely different. So each kind of slowly grows the world a little bit at a time. You're uncovering a little more here and there, but not having everything laid out in front of you. Like, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, but imagine telling somebody, hey, I have this cool miniature, I need you to read 2,000 pages, and then it'll make sense to you. It just doesn't work. I like the idea of being able to have these because, you know, somebody might just want a cool miniature, and that's all they need, and that's totally fine. You can, you know, cut it up and use it for whatever you want, which is what I do with everything, basically. Or you can say, oh, this is a really cool design. Like, I wonder what's the story behind it. You could jump to learning a little more about the world or vice versa. You could be listening to the show and say, oh, this is really cool. I really like this creature or this character. I want him on my desk. Well, there's a miniature for that, potentially. And it gives me a way to kind of add to the world uh, in different ways, depending on like what I want to do with it. Because again, as a Lord of the Rings fan, as a sort of Dark souls kind of fan. It's like some things are interesting to add to the world by having the design, and the design speaks, and leaves some mystery. And then there's the, well, what if you could just tell a little day-in-the-life story of a character in an area? You could learn a lot in a different way about that. And I really kind of like that sort of style, because there's really something for almost everybody to grasp to in some way or another.
0: Are you writing the stories? Is there a team behind you? How are you? How are the stories manifesting and coming out into the world?
2: So again, to tap into that sort of RPG-esque collaboration, there are stories written by me. There are stories I've written with people. There's a lot of stories that it's just, you know, we might have a conversation and then they run with it. There's stories where they're like, hey, like one of my one of my buddies had a story that he really liked and wanted to see if I could, you know, change a couple things to adapt it to the world. And by having that variety of voice, I feel like it fills the world in a much more realistic sense. Because I might write a bunch of serious, dark, cult stories, and then it's just like real bland, one note. But then you have some writers that are a little bit funnier and twisted, or some that are kind of serious and somber in some ways. And I feel like at least for me, like, that really heightens it, as opposed to it just being the one voice.
1: Do you have, like, seasons planned out for this, or is it just, like, I'm going to keep going until I run out of juice? Like,
2: <laughs> uh, so, so it's a little A, a little B, because when the first season, like, the idea kind of came about, we brainstormed, you know, a couple of different ideas. There were ones where I'm like, this is something that I need a story for. For sure. Like, these are a couple key things in this world, and then we can fill in gaps with whatever we want. There's some characters that I might want specifically to be featured. So, there's a list of stories, and there is more stories than what we have room in season one, because I'm kind of this pilot season is just four episodes to kind of get the flavor for it, see if people like it, what they like. There's room to adjust. I'm in creative work, I'm very flexible. Like, I'm have a a vision, but it it shifts. If someone doesn't like a thing, I don't take it personally. I I try to learn from it. So I I like this first season being those concise four episodes once a month uh, to see how this format works for people. But there's definitely enough content, both in just a single sentence brainstorm and some partially written stories to continue for at least another season. And then kind of, again, if people still like it, or if I'm bored and still want to add to it, I, I still will so i i don't have any set number of seasons that i need to accomplish but i definitely don't expect this or plan for this to be the first and last
1: oh yeah that's exciting um, getting into like the story portions like there's it, it it's the developing is something that i've kind of done with my own game where it's like i have a loose narrative my players will flesh out the rest due to their wants and needs when I play my own games. And like, I didn't even think about that. Let me add that. And then I'm like, everything's starting to click. I'm like, oh, this fits with this lore, this fits with that. And I kind of like start making the world around it. So having these little bits of narration from, you know, different ideas, different perspectives is such a good way to kind of enhance your own storytelling. At least from my, from what I've seen so far in my
2: stuff. Oh, absolutely! And I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Every single writer we've had so far is a DM, and that's not a weird coincidence. Because <laughs> each of us kind of gravitate towards something, you know, in a world-building sense, but in such different ways. Uh, like I'm way more into theming and atmosphere and like boots on the ground. This character these designs of a culture. I have another buddy who is like really into like the nitty gritty of like, well, culturally, why are they doing this, this, and this? What is the layout of, you know, their armies and their religions and that sort of thing. And that channeled it in a different way to, to one of the other major cultures. And that sort of different mindsets, I feel like, again, it's really helping build it, but building it in a way that the different characters and peoples aren't just a different form of the same thing because it's coming from a different entire like creative process to a sense
0: have you taken these characters and have you guys played them in like an rpg setting or is it just like a brainstorming you guys are just coming together having these conversations about story and all of that
2: uh so I actually first picked up Morkborg and tried it out because I was hoping to find a system I like to run in this world, and so that is definitely a plan down the line that hasn't happened yet, although we have been kind of toying around with the idea of there's a specific story uh, we want for the last episode and thought it would be really interesting to write it from an RPG sense. Like, we know what we want the story to be about, give each writer a character And let the story play out and kind of see where it goes from there. So, since again, the RPG aspect is so inherently part of the project, even in the writing sense, like we're trying to use it and kind of see where it goes from there.
0: I like that. Like a a neat switch on all of the experience that you have, you know, in any creative aspect of your life, taking it and, and, and twisting it one way, one more way. Uh, actually sounds right up your alley when you say twisting it one more way. So, you know, you're doing a really great job, Shane, (laughs) following what you do.
1: (laughs) All right. We've hit the hour mark. Is there any more questions, Alex?
0: No, as always, Shane, you are a pleasure to have and be in the same sphere. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's been great. Really enjoy seeing kind of more. Where you came from and how you've kind of developed and your skill, as well as you know how you got into the industry, and you're like, it, that's so cool. you Like you made the, the little checkboard characters, and you're like, this is what you need, right? <laughs> Just happened to be in the right spot in the right place and had the right skill set.
2: The illegal I, internship I, is kind of wheedling part. your way in there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, whatever gets the job done. Child labor laws?
1: <laughs> Who heard that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where can they find you, Shane?
2: Well, you can find me in one of two places: on Instagram at the blind man, although the T is a seven. That's my personal miniatures and commission stuff, and you can see some of my work in progresses are all there. Or now at Tales from Apocrypha where all the Apocryphon miniatures and the podcast is going to be hosted, which you can also see at talesfromapocrypha.com, where there's some concept art, there's galleries of miniatures, the episodes are there, a couple of trailers and stuff. um, But primarily those three places.
0: They're pretty splendid. So if you need a personal recommendation, just go look, because they're really cool. Like, it's all super cool. (laughs) And thank you, dear listener, for joining us for another episode of Dungeons & Degrees. You can continue to join our antics over on all of our social medias. Um, We are also trying to grow our Discord channel, so check us out on our Discord. That's where you get to have an opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests and get more of a one-on-one experience with Adrian and me. Probably Adrian over me because he's got the DM experience. But, you know... I'm here for a good time, if not for a long time. Also,
1: I also don't have a job (laughs) anymore. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Unemployment. Also, please rate us five stars on any platform that you can rate us any stars. That definitely helps us grow. Share us with your friends, families, enemies. I don't even care. Just get somebody to listen to our podcast. If you're like, Alex, no, I need more. Dear listener, I have that opportunity for you right now. Go find us on patreon.com backslash dungeons with an S and the letter degrees. And you can help support Adrian and I grow. Adrian no longer has a job. So really, are you helping him put food on the table? Yes. Yes, you are. And if that's not something to go home to, I don't know what else you would want. But you can in fact get stickers or a pencil or other benefits like having access to adrian and i on a more personal level that sounds really weird maybe we shouldn't add that in there but you know adrian you can have my (laughs) socks (laughs) i'm
2: just kidding my (laughs) socks um but premium content ad free episodes
0: see that's what you need ad free episodes but you do join the ranks of skylar megan alex wani lucy guy Paige, and my favorite person in the entire world noah
1: yes and i really appreciate talking to you shane yeah thanks for having us of course all right thank you all so much for listening my name's adrian
0: and i'm alex and i'm shane
1: go have some fun